The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We are only gathered here today because you are a God who wants to be known. And you want to be known so bad that you sent your one and only son out of heaven, down to this earth to reveal you to us. That Jesus is a perfect representation of God. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can look to his life and his ministry and we can know what you're like. We can see the heart of God in the ministry of Jesus. So uh, today I ask that you would anoint me, that you would speak through my mind, that you would help me stay close to the text. And um, Father, it would be uh, your word that I speak and that you would anoint our ears to hear your word. Uh, For those of us who have fears in here, you would still those fears. Uh, For those of us who lack faith in here, you would give us that faith. Um, And we ask the spirit to be Uh, present here in a very special way. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Sacred City Church. If you are just joining us, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. In this series, we are affectionately entitled Following Jesus in a Jacked Up Church. Now, every church has its problems. Every church is at least a little bit jacked up Because every single church is full of broken and selfish people. Now, that might be a revelation to you. You might think, no, 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 church is where the good people go. (laughs) Stick around for a little bit, right? Church is where broken people go. And sometimes it's a place where people that are so broken, they go there to act like, to put the facade on, to pretend that they've got it all together, right? But they're still just as broken. That's why... Sacred City, and that's why Christians, that's why the Bible's all about the need for a savior, not a self-help program. See, most of us, if not all of us though, we're kind of, we're bent and, and we don't really think that we need a savior. We really just need a little bit of help. So most of us, tell me if this is you, you, you get a little shocked when you find out how difficult church is. When you find out how difficult living inside a community is, we kind of naively think, why, why is it so hard to just get along? 
right? And usually what we're really saying is, why doesn't everybody just think and act like me? This would be so much easier if they could get it together like I have it together. Once that happens, community, baby. All day, every day, right? No, that's not community. Church requires effort on our part. Now you think, well, is this the church? This is part of the church, our gathering together. But church, the ecclesia of God is the people of God, living in community of God, showing the world what living in community with a relationship with God looks like. And living in community with other sinners is difficult. Now I recently read an author or read a book by an English author who makes a quite convincing case that we shouldn't use the word sin anymore. He says, most people have no idea. They have no concept what a biblical understanding of sin is. So most of us, when we hear the word sin, we automatically think sin is taboo. It's something naughty, something kind of off limits, but incredibly sexy. It's, it's off limits, but, but it's fun. It's off limits, but it's, you know, it's something that I really shouldn't do, but I'm going to love it if I do it. Right? That's what most people, when they hear the word sin, that's what they think. That's their concept. So he argues that the word sin be replaced with, now I'm modifying this a little bit. Um, uh, but this, just one word, because he uh, doesn't mind throwing out the occasional cuss word. Okay, so I'm just going to replace that a little bit. He says this, here's a good definition of the word sin that we should use when we're talking to people about sin. Sin is the human propensity to screw things up. There was a word that started with F in there, but I just replaced it this morning. The human propensity to screw things up. Now that makes a lot of sense to me. Because when you say sin, I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe. But when you say the human propensity to screw things up, I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. See, I look to my past and I look down the wake that my life has left. And I see the damage that my propensity to screw things up has caused. No matter how hard I've tried to be good, I've hurt people. I've damaged relationships. I still screw things up. And if you're a person with any accurate sense of self-awareness, now you might not, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. You might not have any sense of self-awareness. That's a gift from the Spirit and a re, um, repercussion of community. It's something that you get inside community. People go, you're not that awesome, bro. You're really not, right? And we need that. But if you, if you have any sense of self-awareness, any com- true community around you, you have people going, reminding you that you've left the wake. Reminding you like a tornado that blows through town, that you can see damage. That you've broken relationships. Your mom doesn't talk to you. Your dad doesn't talk to you. Your sister doesn't talk to you. Your children don't talk to you. Aunt Mabel doesn't talk to you. Whoever it is, the boss, it was his problem. The employee, it's their problem that you, if you look in your past, you can see damage. You can see the human propensity to screw things up. Now, if you are completely self-delusional, you'll go, see, and Mabel had a problem. Mama had a problem. Daddy had a problem. Boss has got a problem. Employee got a problem. I wish everybody would just get their stuff together. And the world's going, that woman got a problem, Right? If you're seeing the problem all around, all around, you need, 
There's one common denominator in all those relationships. That's right here. And that's why Jesus, God's one and only son. See, that shows us the human, just the, just the pervasiveness of sin, that it's, in, it's everywhere. It's in every relationship. It's damaging everything we're a part of, at least at some level. And that's why Jesus, God's one and only son, had to come down from heaven to live in this sin-sick world. He never screwed anything up. It's amazing. He was the one human because he was the God human, the God man, 100% God, at the same time 100% man, who was sinless. And his sinless life, he never screwed anything up, his sinless life pleased God to such an extent that God accepted a certain sacrifice. See, Jesus, let me show you this. Jesus didn't just live this perfect life to rub our noses in our own failures. Like we all screwed up and he sent one. He's like, see, this guy could do it. Why can't you? Right? That's Jesus kind of as our example. Many people look to Jesus as our example. They look and they go, oh yeah, if I could just, what would Jesus do? Right? Put the bracelet on, wear the shirt. If I could just act like Jesus or talk like Jesus or be like Jesus. But we need more than an example. Most of us are pretty aware that we fall short, that we can't live up to that perfect example. See, but there's something else. When, when you screw things up, tell me if this is true. When you screw things up, when you hurt someone, when you uh, betray their confidence or gossip about them or you cheat on them, you sin against them in whatever way, you physically, emotionally, relationally, you cause them pain. You hurt them. You screw things up. And the person who was hurt, all the power kind of shifts to their corner. See, they want justice. They've been hurt. They've been wounded. You see in the Psalms, like their prayers cry out to God. This person's hurt me. This person's broken. They might start gossiping about you and telling everybody what you did to them. See, they want justice. They're crying out for justice. They know something's wrong with the way you treated them. They want things to be made right. They want us to pay for what we did. They want us oftentimes, and you, 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 if you've been hurt, you know this. If you've been hurt by someone, there's sense down in your gut. You want them to hurt too. You want them to pay for what they did. You want them to get theirs. This is so terrible, okay? This is really terrible, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. When my wife and I got denied for our 10-year anniversary to go on the cruise... As I was leaving there, I was not thinking, Lord, just bless them. I was thinking that boat's going to sink and I'm going to laugh. The whole way I'm going to laugh. Look, God rescued me from the sinking boat. Like I was mad. I was angry. I felt like I had been done wrong and I did not have a problem if they wound up on a a sandbar in the middle of the ocean. I didn't have a problem with that. Oh, they're stuck for a week there. (laughs) That's tough. Right? I didn't care. I wanted justice. Right? What I thought was justice. Listen, this is exactly why Jesus becomes our substitute. See, Jesus takes the punishment for all the havoc that we have caused. All the hurt and pain, 
The whole trail of broken relationships that we've left in the wake of our lives, Jesus absorbed that in, our bo- in his body and he took the wrath that we all deserve. See, we've screwed it up. We deserve pain. We deserve justice. We deserve the, literally the wrath or the justice of God to come down upon our heads to pay us back for all the wrong that we've done in our lives. And in fact, the people that we've hurt, did you ever think about this? The people that you've hurt, they might be praying for God to get you. They might literally be praying for justice. God, pay them back for their lies about me. Pay them back for the gossip. Pay them back for screwing me over in that business deal. Pay them back. And here's the deal. If Jesus is just an example, we're out of luck. What do we do with that? But here, Jesus, for the Christian, is the person who goes... You're right. All of those who have everything against this person, you are absolutely right. You deserve justice. You deserve to be paid back. You deserve for them to hurt. But put it on me. Let me pay their price. Let me take their spot. Let the wrath that you want to pour out on them, pour that wrath out on me. That's what Jesus Christ does on the cross. The cosmic justice of the world of, that God deserves to pour out on everyone fell on Jesus that day, 2,000 years ago, on a rugged hill called Golgotha. Jesus became our substitute. And we know that God was satisfied, that, that paid the price, that paid the debt, because he was pleased to allow Jesus to be resurrected after his death. The resurrection shows us that God accepted Jesus' payment for our sins. This is how we can be forgiven. He doesn't just go, oh, no big deal. Your sin's not a big deal. He says, I've paid for it by taking it in myself and Jesus, dying and defeating it and raising again to new life. And now I offer that new life to you, the gift of Christ's righteousness for us. See, when Jesus died upon the cross, he paid the sin debt for every single human being who has ever or will ever call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This is why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The debt has been paid. The work of salvation, it's finished. But for the Christian, this is where it gets fuzzy. For the Christian, our work here on earth is not finished. We get to play. (laughs) We get kind of drafted into onto God's team and now we get to do ministry and we get to work out this redemption that he's purchased. We get to work it out in on the everyday nook and crannies of our life, in our jobs, in our cities, in our world. We get to, to work out redemption, to play in the kingdom, to kind of try to create what's cre- create these little pockets on earth um, like it will be in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ comes back and all sin has been removed. We get to, to play in this. But here's the deal. This is a painful reality. Though we've been made new, though when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God gives us the Holy Spirit. He literally takes out a heart of stone and gives us a new heart of flesh and makes us totally new people. He does that for us. We still have this thing following us around, right? We've talked about it before. Dexter calls it his dark passenger. We've got this sin that still clings to us. 
No, and here's the painful reality. No matter how spiritual you are, sin still remains. There still remains a human propensity to screw things up. And what we're going to see today, even spirit-filled Christians screw things up. See, this has been, it's really just painful. These guys are, these, these Christians, these Christians here from Corinth, they're in heaven right now, just going like this. Oh, I can't believe we were doing that. Like, I'm sure they're in heaven like, oh man, they're talking about us again. Here we go. Hey, but he's going to tell your story again. Hey, get the guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Get him over here. Sacred said he's going to talk about him again. Right? That's like they, they were a horrible example. They were a jacked up church, but they're for our good. We, we can read about them. We can study about them and we can go, okay, let's not do that. And I've heard many people say the spiritual gifts. What is the spiritual gifts? Spiritual things. Hey, let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to the way it used to be. Uh, well, this is one of the earliest uh, manuscripts that we have. This is one of the earliest uh, documents that we have from the New Testament. And things are not going well here. Right? We don't want to go back to this. This is bad. These so-called spiritual people were taking, quote-unquote, gifts of the Spirit. And they were going crazy with them. They turned into a sideshow. So what we're going to talk about today, let's just open up our Bibles. I know I just, that was a long introduction. I know, but I feel like I needed it. Go to first Corinthians chapter 12. We go verse by verse through this book. We're in chapter 12, verse one. We've already read it once, but one thing I'm going to let you know right away. Uh, the Apostle Paul here writing to correct their view of spiritual gifts, the way they're using things in the spirit. And he uses, he drops uh, some form of the word spirit 11 times in these 11 verses. And when we read verse 1, it's clear he's changing subjects. Look, now concerning spiritual gifts is what the ESV says. Now concerning spiritual gifts. This church had written the Apostle a letter asking him about a lot of different subjects. Kind of telling them what they're doing. And now he's switching subjects to talk about what, what he's labeling here as spiritual gifts. Now that word gifts is not actually in the Greek. It just says now concerning the spiritual. And commentators and scholars uh, differ on, is he talking about spiritual gifts or is he talking about spiritual people? Because um, that word can be used in both references, both ways. It is used in both ways in the New Testament. So I, I think that yes... He is. He's talking about spiritual gifts, but he's also talking about people who use those spiritual gifts, spiritual people. Now, today isn't too much different from what was going on in Paul's day in the city of Corinth. When you start talking about the spiritual, right? See, though we live in a day where everyone or many people in society think that religion is a private matter. Religion isn't meant to be talked about in the public square. Just keep it private in your homes. Nobody cares about people going public with spirituality. Right? From reruns of Oprah to any television. I mean, you can just flip through and you're going to find all kinds of fortune tellers. Like people that, that, that are going to tell you what, uh, you know, 
old dead Aunt Millie, she left something for you under the floorboards in the kitchen. Right? You can flip through the channels and you can find psychics and you can find all kind of spiritual things out there. It's pretty common, right? You want to get in touch with somebody who's dead? This is how you do it for $49.99. We can do it right now, right? Eastern meditation, yoga, all of these are, are spiritual practices that are common today. They're religion, but we don't think they're religion. We kind of, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Paul is dealing with this in the church in Corinth. See, in the first two verses, let's read it. Now concerning the spiritual, now concerning the spiritual brothers and sisters, actually, I do not want you to be uninformed, okay? Right here, stop. Just to answer this. This is why we're studying this text. We go verse by verse, right? Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed, okay? Let's keep reading. You know that when you were pagans, that means unbelievers or Gentiles, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were still led. See, you were, they were mute, but you were still led. What's he saying? Paul's saying, listen, this is what he's saying. Every spiritual experience you have isn't from the God of the Bible. Every spiritual experience you have isn't Christian. Just because you got the chills, just because your hair stood up on the back of your neck and on your arm and you felt warm fuzzies, does not believe that is from the God of the universe. There is a big difference between being a spiritual person and being a Christian. See, being spiritual is all about me. It's all about me having a personal experience of ecstasy. You can get that at a concert, right? Coldplay or John Mayer or whoever it is. You get that feeling. Hair stands up and people, they raise their hand. They light their lighter. They sing. They hold hands. That's worship. They're having an experience, a spiritual experience. And now listen, this is so genius by Paul. Paul doesn't do what many preachers do or what many people could say and go, oh, that's all phony. That's not, that's just emotion. That's not spiritual. That's not, that's just phony. No, 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 no. It's spiritual, but it's not Christian. Mute idols, fake things. They can give you the warm fuzzies. They can have, you can have a spirit. There's more spirits at work in this world than the spirit of God. He just wants to say, that's not Christian. What do I mean by that? See, being spiritual is about a personal sense or experience of ecstasy. It's about goosebumps. But God has given the spiritual and God has given spiritual gifts for one reason. Listen, to make much of Jesus through the ministry of people. That's the point of the spiritual gifts, to make much of Jesus through the ministry of people. And Paul is going to be making a stark contrast here between spirituality and Christianity. See, spirituality elevates the individual. Why do we love it in our society? Because we are living in the most individualistic society the world has ever seen. It's about me. My personal needs and desires get elevated over all things. See, that's why spirituality is so attractive. 
But Christianity elevates Jesus and the Christian community over the individual's personal experience. Christianity says it's not about me, it's about we. See, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get into those in a minute. The gifts of the Holy Spirit in the local church is all about us. It's we. So we're going to be spending the next few weeks talking about spiritual gifts. What they are, how to use them, what they're for. And we're going to do this because the Apostle Paul tells us right here that we Christians cannot be uninformed when it comes to the spiritual. Right? Now listen, I told you last week, I uncovered some of my secrets last week, right? I was raised, I came to faith in a charismatic church. I was kind of raised as a kid. I grew up in an assembly of God church. So I'm just going to let you know, I've seen some crazy, okay? I've experienced some crazy. I've seen firsthand how the human propensity to screw things up can wreck a church with their love affair with the spiritual. And I know that there's at least two types of people in this room today. One, you come from a charismatic, charismatic background and you are like, finally, we're going to sing some happy, clappy music and people are going to get knocked down in the aisle. Let me assure you, that ain't going to happen. But I do believe that we need to learn about spiritual gifts, that we need to understand them, understand how to use them, and we need to uh, begin to stir them up, right? Stir them up, stir up the gifts. That's what Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gifts that, that came when I laid my hands on you, when you became a Christian, stir up those gifts and use them. And most of the time, they're going to be used in missional community and in fight club. We can talk about that in a little bit. So, there's some group in here that are like, Yes! Let's talk about the spiritual. Let's talk about spiritual gifts. And there's another group in here. You are already sweating, right? You guys are on the edge of your seat probably. You get really nervous when people raise their hands and close their eyes during the music. You guys are just waiting to push the eject button once somebody speaks in tongues or does something crazy, right? It's right here. Just try it. Just do it. <laughs> Boom, I'm gone. Crazy came up today and gathering them out, Right? I get it. I understand why you're like that. Right? More than likely, God, my, my past, I was a wrestler and I, I fought in a cage and God probably was preparing me for someone to do that in the gathering so I could take them out. Right? As silently as possible. That happens. I don't know what happened to him. He's gone. <laughs> Disappeared. Right? I, I didn't hear nothing. I don't know. I don't know. All right, let me assure you, here, here's the deal. Let me assure you, if that's you, you're weirded out by quote unquote spiritual gifts. You were like flipping through the channels one time and it landed on this network called TBN and you saw a big gold throne and you heard people saying either a lot of weird words and asking for money. Those are the two things, right? <laughs> so you're thinking that's where we're going. We're not going there. I'm telling you, we're not going there. Right? That's not where we're going. I'm going to tell you this. Spiritual gifts are not to make you weird. If they do, you've done it wrong. And there's churches across the city, across the world, that you walk in, 
And it's just flat out weird. Right? People bucking and flopping and speaking craziness and barking and who knows? I don't even, just crazy, right? Tambourines and flags and you're like, what is this place? Trapeze artists? I don't... It, it's, it gets crazy, right? But spiritual gifts, listen, they're not made, they're not supposed to make you weird. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it a bunch. Spiritual gifts are about making much of Jesus through a supernatural enablement to do ministry like Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus wasn't weird. Jesus wasn't spooky spiritual. Right? Jesus was divinely enabled by the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things. For those of you, Jesus didn't walk, he didn't do all those things because he was God. Right? He didn't do all those miracles because he was God. He did all those miracles because he was, he flowed in the Holy Spirit. He was gifted by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. So you see Jesus looking at a woman at a well. Saying, woman, I, I need some water. Will you give me some water? And then we skip a bunch of stuff. He, he basically says, hey, you're coming to this well to get water, but I could give you water that will quench your thirst forever. And she says, I want this water. And what's he say? He says, hey, go get your husband. She, I, I don't have a husband. He's like, this is like the, 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 the trap. The trap closes, right? Jesus sets the trap. The trap closes. I don't have a husband. Well, since you brought that up, you're right, you don't. You've had... A bunch of husbands. And the guy you're shacking up with right now, he's not your husband either. So what he's pointing at is you have a spiritual thirst that you're trying to quench with the love and affection of men. You think a sexual relationship will complete you. You think that will satisfy you. And Jesus says, I'm here to tell you that that won't satisfy me, satisfy you only a relationship with me will satisfy you. Only what I offer you will satisfy you. That's a gift of the spirit that Jesus walks in that enables him to contextualize the gospel to a specific individual's need. That wasn't spooky spiritual. Was it spiritual? Absolutely. And you know what she did? She ran and told everybody, right? Come check this guy out who told me everything I ever did. Jesus healed. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus did a lot of things like that. By flowing in the Holy Spirit. So as we talk about this today, as we get into this text and we study the spiritual gifts over the next few weeks, let us keep this one thing in mind. It's all about Jesus. Spiritual gifts are all about Jesus. Look at verse 3. This is why we, we know that. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, Paul does not mean that a person cannot utter the words Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. He's, what he's saying is people cannot make a public profession of faith in the living Savior and, and keep to that public profession of faith that Jesus is Lord in a hostile world. That no one could maintain that creed. Jesus is Lord without... The work of the Holy Spirit in any culture, in today's culture as well. 
Now, what does that mean? Jesus is Lord. That was the first, the earliest Christian creed that we have. They used to say that Jesus is Lord. And interesting enough, in the early church, uh, at the end of the service, they would ask um, all the unbelievers, all the people who weren't inside, all the, they weren't covenant members of the church. They would go, thank you guys for coming. That was the preaching of the word. Could you please get up and leave now? And they would leave and then they would all profess together, Jesus is Lord. And for us, it's like, why? What? That's weird. Why would you make people leave before you did that? Because what they were saying was in that culture, in essence, they were saying this, Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't. Jesus is in control of all things and Caesar isn't. The king isn't. The emperor isn't. See, so they could be arrested for that. They could get in a lot of trouble for that. So they would ask them to leave and then they would perform it together. And what we see is when he says Jesus is Lord, this, what does Lord mean? He means he's, he's the ruler. He's the king. He's the one who deserves all worship, all allegiance. And when that, 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 that word meant that Jesus is king. And one thing that Jesus talks a lot about is his kingdom. When he came to earth, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He came to set up the kingdom. When he comes back the second time, he's going to rule this kingdom. There's going to be no hurt, no pain. Everything's going to be just. Everything's going to be love. That's what the kingdom's going to look like. We're still going to work. We're still going to love. We're still going to laugh. We're still going to run. We're still going to have fun. We're still going to crossfit. That's going to happen. Play golf, whatever. That's happening in the kingdom. So Paul here is giving us, and the Corinthians, a rubric, a filter to sift, listen, to sift all, our, all of our experiences with the spiritual through. Don't just trust the goosebumps. I, see, I've been, I, I'm, I hate to say this like this, but I may be, I, maybe I'm numb to some of it. Because I grew up in the, in, the, in the over-experiential side of things. That where people would come up and go, I got a word for you. And I'm like, and now I'm like, I got a word for me. Like, like my guard goes up. You got a word for me. I'm going to have to test this. I got the word of God. I, 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 I've been studying scripture for a long time. So you say something foolish. I'm going to know. Right. This is a rubric here. This is a rubric for an experience in the spiritual. This is what Paul says. Christian spiritual experience. Anything to do with the spiritual gifts. Is about Jesus is Lord. Jesus becoming real to us and empowering us to live under his reign as a kind of an outpost of his coming kingdom. So spiritual gifts are about the people of God living in a community in such a way that we kind of look like what we're going to look like in the future. You get that? When, when there will be no more sin, when, when there will be no more struggle, when there will be no more pain. Living under Jesus' reign is allowing the future, what Jesus already inaugurated in his resurrection, allowing the future to come back and inform today. And we're going to live like little kingdom, like, like little outposts of the kingdom. So the spiritual gifts make, you, make us look more and more like the coming king and the coming kingdom. Okay? They're not to uh, spice up the Sunday gathering. Man, it's getting kind of boring. Let's get some gifts going in here. Somebody yell something, right? 
Somebody, somebody get a tambourine. We need a tambourine. Right? The spiritual gift is making us look more like the coming king in the coming kingdom. Now let's get in verse 4 and let's really dig down in this. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, this is where Paul uses a different word, and he's using the word charismata. Charismata. Now, if you've ever heard charismatic, that's where the word comes from. Charisma, that's where the word comes from. Charis means grace, right? So, this word literally means it's a gift of grace. It's a gracious gift. In the modern term, in the modern Greek, it's used as a birthday gift. Charismata, it's a birthday gift. And what Paul's saying here, there is diversity. There's a lot of different gifts, but there's one spirit and they all come from one spirit. So this is one of the greatest things about Christianity. Let's keep, let's keep reading so I can show you. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. So we see there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a varieties of activities. Actually, that, that word there uh, is, uh, I'm going to say it, energinata. Energinata in the Greek. So it's energy. There's a lot of power there. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay, so I hope you see this. That we, we see three things going on, or several things going on here. Number one, we see variety gifts given by the Spirit. Varieties of service by the Lord. Varieties of power by the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see what we call and theologians call the doctrine of the Trinity here. That God, the God of the Bible, is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one. Okay? Do you understand that? No. Do I? Not really. But what does it mean? It means that our God is himself a community. How can God be love? Because he's a community. Right? How can there be unity with diversity? Because there's unity with diversity in our God. That's why we believe different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, all can come together in one church, in one missional community, and there can be unity there because it's the same spirit. It's the same Savior, Jesus. It's the same God. There's unity in diversity. When the world gets up, the smartest guys that our world has, not really, but the smartest guys who are atheistic in our world. And they get up and they say, why can't we all get along? We can point at them and go, why should we? Why should we get along? Survival of the fittest, right? Let's just kill the weak. Why should we get along? Christians can stand up and say, we should all get along because our God is a community. And there's diversity and unity. And we can welcome and love the other who's not like us. That's what it's about. So there's this great unity inside diversity. And what we see here, look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. So right there, gifts of grace are given to us to serve our Christian brothers and sisters as well as our neighbors, as well as our co-workers and our bosses. Listen, they're for the common good. They're not to make us look good. They're, they're a gift 
One of our identities in Christ is the identity of a servant, that Christ came to serve and he's made us into servants as well. And, one, and he gives us gifts to serve one another in the body, to serve our neighbors. That's why he gives us gifts, not to build a pedestal. Right? Not to say, I have this gift, I'm going to put it on my business card and hand them out. Right? It's not to lift ourselves up. It's, to bless, it's for the common good, to bless others around us. So here we go. In the first few verses, Paul is making the point that God is Trinity. He exists in a community a diverse, uh, with diversity. And the church is made up of a diverse group of people, all with differing gifts. And when they use those gifts together to make much of Jesus in a spirit of unity, a beautiful harmony takes place. Now, harmony is beautiful, isn't it? I love when our band, I, mean, I don't know if they're doing it today or not. I'm not that up on things. But usually I can catch when they're doing harmony. I can't ever hit it. I can't ever do it right. But I can hear it, right? And harmony is beautiful. For, usually four, whatever, four different people singing four different parts, but singing the same song. And it makes everyone sound better, Right? And it oftentimes brings people to their feet where they're clapping. They, they love harmony. Right? Or, or in an orchestra where everybody's playing something a little bit different, but it all sounds beautiful together. That's what the church is supposed to sound like. Four different people, four different parts, singing different parts, but singing the same song, sounding good together. Harmony is great. But let me tell you, one time uh, I was on vacation as a little kid. And I was down south, and I mean deep down south in Alabama, right? We loved it as a kid. We loved going down south. But the one bad thing about going down south is that means we had to go to Grandmama's church, okay? Granny Rose, bless her soul. We had to go to Granny Rose's church. Now, Granny Rose's church, just so you know, was in a trailer, okay? That might tell you a little something right there. Granny Rose's church was in a trailer. Music was just, you know... We, we were expecting it to be, you know, a little bad. I was going to say, a little bad. My mom threatened our life. I don't know. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't say that. But my mom, I'm going to say it, threatened our life before we went. She gave all the kids the lecture. If you make fun, if you laugh, if you embarrass this family, I'm going to whoop your butt when you get home. So we were buttoned up tight that morning. We were buttoned up tight. We were sitting there, and brother so-and-so was going to bless the church with a special, right? He's going to sing a special this morning. So brother got up, and he sing, starts singing a song, and oh, he's spiritual, very all fly away, I think was the song, all fly away. And at first, you know, he comes in, all fly away. And as soon as the thing changed, he said, all fly away. And we're like... And then he comes back in. Uh, he was trying to sing all four parts by himself. <laughs> Brother was trying to harm it. And he didn't have a pedal where he could loop it or something, right? He was singing all four parts of one song by himself. And I was just kind of like... And I look down the aisle and I see my mom... <laughs> losing it, right? She lost it. And all the kids are like, hypocrite. And we're just... And, and then we lost it. Right? Now, harmony is a beautiful gift, but you can't do it by yourself. Right? Now, listen. Spiritual gifts are the same way. Spiritual
Spiritual gifts are for the body. Spiritual gifts are meant to use, be used in harmony with one another. And this is one thing you're going to see here. Spiritual gifts aren't like for possession. There's something, a person, it's a gift of the spirit that sometimes I flow in, you flow in and out of. Some of these gifts, I'm going to tell you this. I don't think anyone has the gift of healing. If they did, dude, come with me. Let's go to the cancer, let's go to the cancer ward. Right? Come with me, man. Let's, let's, let's go to the, to the NICU, right? Come, let's go. I don't think any, but I think God gives gifts occasionally where God does steal, still heal people. Can you imagine what will you do if you had the gift of healing? Right? You'd make a jersey. Healer. <laughs> Bring them up. Where are they at? Right? Healing folks. See, spiritual gifts are all about making much of Jesus by using our gifts in harmony inside a local church. They're not about creating a website. They're not about shock and awe. They're about glorifying Jesus by making harmony inside the church. Now look at verse 7 again. This is beautiful. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's talk about that for a moment. See, there is no A team and B team. There's no varsity, junior varsity here. In the Christian faith, there aren't two classes of people. Those with spiritual gifts and those who are just without it. There aren't people who are ministers who are spiritually gifted, and then there's the spectators who come in and they get to watch everybody use their gifts. What's going to happen? There aren't two classes of people. Paul says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you've been given a spiritual gift for the common good, for ministry. You are a minister. If you are a Christian... See, and that we're going to talk about the next few weeks because next week Paul's going to get into it. He's going to give us a specific uh, analogy. He's going to say that the church is a body and it's all got different parts, but you're all connected to the body. You all get a different function. You've all got a different gift and you need one another. Every Christian has been given some special kind of gift from the spirit that is meant to be used to make much of Jesus and build up this church here to get For those who are listening to me, this church right here, your gift is meant to be used right here to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God. For me, this is incredibly exciting. Should be for you too. When God saved you, when he took out your heart of stone and he breathed his spirit in you and he regenerated your heart and caused you to see Jesus as truly glorious. He did that through the Holy Spirit. And when he did that, you didn't know he did it. But when he did that, he dropped in a gift of grace. He dropped in a spiritual gift, a divine from God enabling to do ministry like Jesus. Not perfectly. We still got this sin thing going on. But he's dropped a spiritual gift in you. You're gifted. If you're here today and you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has given you a spiritual gift. And those gifts, he says, given to all believers 
for the common good. Now, look at verse 8. Now we're going to get into it. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now, what's Paul about to do here? Okay, Paul's going to start listing off some gifts. But here, please listen to me. This list is not exhaustive. Paul has other places in the New Testament where he lists off uh, different gifts. Uh, Peter lists off a few gifts. There's actually four, at least four or five different lists in the New Testament where Paul uh, lists, thing, lists them off. And here's the point. All the lists are different. There's some things that overlap. But all the lists are different. This isn't meant to be exhaustive. Paul's not going, let me tell you about all the spiritual gifts so you can find out which one you got. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, there's a variety of gifts. There's a lot of them out there, and you've got one, I guarantee you. All right? But, and we're going to spend some more time on these, but first I want to show that slide. I want to show that slide of the four, um, the four lists uh, next to each other, if we, can, if we can put that up there right now. Because we can't study them all in detail. Uh, there it is right there. Okay. So here's the gifts of the spirit in the new Testament that are listed right here in first Corinthians 12, eight through 10. We have utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Later on in this chapter, we have apostles. People are called gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers. And then we have miracles. Well, healing, help, helping administration. Various kinds of tongues. Then we got Romans. We got prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation. Oh, that's nice. Giving, leadership, hmm. acts of mercy. Down in Ephesians four, people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Uh, well, there's about twenty or twenty-one because some people think that shepherd teacher is one word. First Peter four, gracious speech, serving. Now, what do you notice about this when you hear all these gifts? So when God drops the Spirit in you, He He, he puts something else along with it—a gift. Now, we can't study all those in detail. We will try to study the nine here in 1 Corinthians 12. But what, one, of the first things, 1 Corinthians 12, one of the first things I notice here, and I want you to notice, is spiritual gifts are both supernatural and natural. Right? Do you notice that when you look up there? See, right away, when I look up there, I think, out of all of those, I really hope I don't have helping or admin. Like, that's what I, I'm like, oh, admin, ouch. Who's got that one? Sorry. Right, that's what I look, I look up there and I'm like, come on, give me healing, please. Right, I want something sexy. Give me miracles. Who wants the gift of admin? But here, listen, for Paul, the spiritual gifts aren't for show. They're not for uh, hysterics. They're not for goosebumps. They're not to stir people up so they go back fired up on Monday. They're for helping. They're not for shock and awe. They're for service. And we think in terms of that, the gift of administration is actually one of the best gifts up here. And I wonder, in most charismatic churches, do they, they just want to pass over those? I mean, they, they want this one, though. Woo! Gift of giving. I hope everybody's got that one. Right? But they skip over leadership. They skip over administration. They skip over helping. They, skip, they want to talk about, they want to separate these in, into like supernatural and natural. There's not really, for Paul, it's right here. It's all gifts. Whether it's picking up garbage, whether it's hospitality, serving other people, open up your home and serving other people, it's a gift from the Spirit. Or whether it's tongues or gifts of healing, it's all 
from the Spirit. Now listen, the gift of administration, we can think, oh, that's boring. I was thinking about this last night. The gifts of administration, it's like an amplifier. Right? An amplifier takes a preacher's voice and it multiplies it so a thousand people can hear it. Even millions of people can hear it now on the internet. Right? That's what the gift of administration does. See, leaders don't build organizations. Leaders don't build wells. Leaders don't build schools and churches around the globe. Administrators do. Administrators, see, leaders cast the vision, leaders get people on board, but people with the gift of the of gift of administration, they run the world. Okay? We'll tell you that. Right? There's no gift up here that is superior to another. They're gifts. That's how the church should function. So let's not be uninformed, like Paul says. Let's not look at this list and go, I want a cool gift. Verse 11 says, you've been given a gift according to the will of the Spirit, according to the will of God. You, you, can't, you can't pray for a different gift. You can ask God through the Spirit to show you what your gift is and then to... as. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, right? Stir up that gift. What does that mean? Stir it up. Learn about it. Understand it. Study it. If you're an administrator, you better go to school, more than likely. Better learn Excel, because you'll love that. Let me tell you, administrator, you will love Excel. You wish the Bible was made in graphs and Excel. That's just usually how it is, right? But we're not meant to covet another person's gift. We're meant to love the one that God gave us, use it, figure it out, practice it, fan it into flame. Now, you can turn that off. Let's go through these real fast as I close. Let's go through these uh, gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Okay, utterance of wisdom. Speaking out uh, wisdom. Okay, now there could be a lot of examples for this. Like I said, it's usually not somebody who just walks around and they're wise all the time. Okay, it's something they move in and out of. So they, God might give it to them a lot. They might speak wise things a lot. One of the best instances, I kind of already told you one, uh, where Jesus uh, kind of read that girl's mail and spoke to the woman at the well. And he kind of knew how to handle the situation to get the result that he wanted, her repenting and loving God, that's the use of wisdom. Wisdom is very helpful in a missional community when you're trying to apply the gospel to somebody's heart in discipleship. Wisdom is very helpful. One of the best examples is also in the Old Testament, this guy named Solomon. If you knew anything about Solomon, he was was given a gift of wisdom. He was ruling uh, in wisdom. And one day, these two women uh, both had babies. They went to sleep and one woman rolled over on top of her baby and smothered the baby. And the baby died. The mom woke up. She saw the dead baby. She looked over and saw the other woman here and her baby was alive. And she went back to sleep. She switched out babies. So this woman woke up. Ah, freak. That ain't my baby. She, she knew right away. So they couldn't, people were looking there. I don't know who's is whose. I don't know. So they bring these two women 
before Solomon. And they're arguing, it's my baby, no, it's my baby, it's my baby, no, it's my baby. Oh, right? Solomon, two, I'm just thinking about this, two nursing mamas, fresh off of giving birth, and he's got to deal with, somebody's going to kill somebody. So he's sitting here, and he says, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll take the baby, the live baby, we'll cut him in half, and we'll give half to you and half to her. One woman goes, yes! The other woman goes, no, 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 she can have him, she can have him. Solomon goes, give the baby to her, right? The real mom, the real mom said, no, no, she can have the baby. She, can, she didn't want the baby to die. The woman who just wanted something, the woman that was lying said, no, no, cut him in half, cut him in half. I want my half. Wisdom, right? Supernatural wisdom for the moment. That was a gift in the Old Testament. It's still a gift uh, that's around today. I think we, sh- we should all pray. I think we should all pray that God would give us this gift. We need it with raising kids, right? We need it when we're sharing the gospel. We need it all the time. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray for it. Now, secondly, uh, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think God has given me Uh, This gift in a small way. I don't say that because I think I'm the smartest guy in here. I'm absolutely not. I say that because I never uh, read a book throughout junior high or high school. Not one. Uh, I was interested in chasing girls and playing sports. Uh, But when God saved me at age 17... He gave me, when he saved me through the spirit, he gave me an insatiable desire to read. He really just turned me into a learner. From the moment of my salvation, I've had at least one book going. Most of the time I'm reading about 10 books at a time. From fiction, theology, philosophy, biography, autobiography, commentaries, and of course the scriptures. I'm reading, and if you know me, you know this, I'm reading all the time. And what I want you to know is that's not because I'm smart. That's not because I'm disciplined. That's not because uh, I was raised to to put education up on the top shelf and really focus on it. No, no. That's not natural for me. Uh, Here's a big revelation. I have ADHD. Shocker, right? So most people don't know how I can sit down for hours at a time and read and be focused. Easy. It was a gift of grace given to me. I've done nothing to do it. I've done nothing to earn it. It's just, I want to do it. And I do it and I enjoy it. So that's why I do it. It's a gift. I think it's a gift given to me by the Spirit. And it's probably because the gift of knowledge would kind of be helpful with my job. Right? If I get up here and, uh, I don't really know what this says. I'm not really sure. So let's just go home and. Ask Jesus to help, right? That would not be helpful as a pastor, right? I need to know what I'm talking about, right? So that's a gift. So pray. Some of you have the gift of knowledge. Some of you, it didn't come just supernaturally. You, you, were, you were smart from the get-go, right? You, were, you saw how things connected from the get-go. I think my son, Javin, I think that's him. I think from the get-go, he's a little theologian. He asked right away. He asked about the Trinity. He asked about big picture things. I think he's got a, the, gift, uh, the gift of knowledge. I think that's got it. And I think... Um, we believe that the Spirit's already saved him. We believe that, that my son's already a Christian. And so God's going to take that kind of natural gifting that he gave him when he was born. And he's going to kind of put the spiritual, uh, add, add the Spirit to it. Kind of 
use that as a spiritual gift. So that's when you're coming to find out your spiritual gift. A lot of times it's, it's a natural gifting. It's a natural gifting. That's now not about you. Cause like a natural gifting of being smart or being, having a gift of knowledge, natural, you can study. It can be all about you and all about the letters behind your name. Right. And all about book deals and all about getting up into, uh, the, the, um, uh, educational system and academia and being awesome. But when the spirit comes in and saves your heart and, and saves you and, and drops the spiritual gift on, he could take that natural gift of knowledge and, and now use it for Jesus glory instead of yours and use it for the good of the church and not just for your own exaltation. Next to another faith by the same spirit. Now this is not salvific faith. This is not the faith that saves us. Everyone's been given the gift of faith. If you've, accepted Christ as Lord. This is faith to believe God, even when it's really difficult. So this is faith. When everything says, um, no, you trust God that God says, yes, this is a gift. Um, one thing I read this week said the, the bird that knows the dawn sings when it's still dark. That's faith. And I trust God even when my body's still sick. I trust God even when my finances are busted. I trust God even when my relationships are broken. I trust God even when I don't feel his presence. I trust God and I ask for the spirit of faith. I ask for this gift of faith to, to believe him. It's faith. Next. To another gifts of healing. And this is interesting. Gifts of healing. I love it. Thank you, Paul. He didn't write the gift of healing. So nobody could put it on their business card and walk around with it. That it's given. It's a bunch of different gifts. And I'm going to tell you one experience that, that my family's had with the gifts of healing. I've never seen an arm grow, right? I've never seen, you know, some kind of supernatural thing right in front of me. I've never seen it. So I'm not going to be the preacher that stands up. And I hope that, 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 that preaches over when I was in Africa one time. And I was like, right? I, no, I haven't. But what I have seen... So my sister, uh, when she was 11 months old, was sick all the time. And my family took her to all the doctors in town. And uh, our doctor, uh, Dr. Stumpy, if you remember back in the day, said that uh, my sister had leukemia. My sister, Sasha, had leukemia. She was 11 months old and gave us a file and said, we need you to go up to Minnesota, University of Minnesota, and get further tests that we can't do here um, to confirm this and and my parents, uh, my dad specifically, I remember, took, uh, uh, took my sister out on the back porch and was just weeping and was sobbing and was broken and was powerless as a parent as we all come to find out that we are when it's something to do with our children and there's nothing we can do. And he begged and he said, God, Father, please heal my baby, heal, heal my daughter. And God sovereignly healed my sister. They brought her up to Minnesota and they said, ah, we, there's no trace of leukemia in her system. She's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal. Brought the results back to Dr. Stumpf and he said, oh, we call that spontaneous remission. Well, we call that healing. That's what we call that around here. But I'm all, spontaneous remission's good too, right? And that's a gift of the spirit. Now, see, here's the, here's the picture. That was done in absolute humility. This is what prayer is. Coming to God and saying, I got nothing. We need you. 
You turn on that television and you watch somebody walk with a swagger and he'll get up here and says, I, God will heal you right this minute. And God will do this and God will do that. If you just come up here, there's offering buckets up here too. When you, when you come up here, just in case, if you just feel led to get, there's also offering buckets, but he'll do this and he'll heal it. And he wants you to live and not die. And it's so presumptuous. And it's so saying, We've got God in a corner somehow. We can make him do what we want him to do. And he's good, so he will heal you. And that's absolutely not the way. That's not prayer. That's not a gift. And that's the way, that's why most um, uh, of those overly charismatic churches are full of hypocrites and liars. That stand up on stage and, and claim people have been healed. And then when they're researched, it's all bogus. Okay. I pray that it doesn't happen here. But, like I said, we're charismatic with a seatbelt, right? So we don't want the crazy. We don't want the fake, the phony. We don't want that, but we want the authentic. We want the real because our God is a living God who still does work today. Uh, To another, the working of miracles, things that we just can't explain. To another, prophecy. Um, This isn't like... um, this isn't like, thus saith God. This is kind of like, I would say, it's like reading people's mail. And, and I think sometimes most preachers flow in and out of this. Sometimes you come and tell me, tell me after, the, after the service, um, did you talk to my husband this week? Did my missional community talk to you? Did you talk to my fight club? Did you talk to my wife? Because you? you feel like I, whatever the sermon was, I was reading your mail. Right? That's the spirit. That's a gift. That's what God does. It makes God's, God's word real to you in the moment. Here we go. To the other, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's phony. That's not. Okay. To another, various kinds of tongues. Now, I don't have time to get into this. We will get into it in chapter 14. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now listen, like I said before, you don't discover your spiritual gifts so that we can spice up our gatherings. It's not what it's for. You need to use your spiritual gift because you have been specially gifted by God to build up the kingdom here at Sacred City. That's what, that's what the gift's for. That's why you're here. And this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post on the city the city is our online portal. It's kind of like Facebook for our church. I'm going to post some spiritual gift tests. So if, you, if you're like, I don't know, I don't think I'm gifted. <laughs> We're going to post this test. You can take the test. It can show you your top five or whatever. And it can kind of help you narrow it down. Now, most of the time, um, like I said, you don't get to choose. We can pray for them. We can ask for them. But it's God who sovereignly gives to us. But most of the time, you're going to have people in your life that kind of affirm this. Like you just, you're, you're phenomenal at throwing parties. You have the gift of hospitality. You make people feel welcome when they walk in the door, you make them feel welcome. That's a gift, right? That's a gift. You have the gift of leadership. You look behind you, people follow maybe 10 people, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand, maybe more than that. You are a leader. You've been gifted by God to lead. Now that's for the common good. That's for the church, but it's also for our city. Now. So we want to help you discover those gifts. We're going to talk more about them in the next few weeks. Listen, I'm going to... 
Our church needs you. Our city needs you. You're here because God brought you here. God gave you a gift and we need your gift. We need you to use the gift that God gave you. And our city needs you to use the gift that God gave you. We cannot be who God has called us to be until you use the gifts that God has given you. And that's why our whole structure of our church, the organizing principle of our church is what we call missional communities. Small little families of people who live on mission for God's glory and serve one another in homes throughout the week. God's multiplied us. We went from one. We have eight now spread across the cities. And they're a family of missionary servants living together. And you meet together, you eat together, you fellowship together, you pray together, you study together, you love one another together. That is where you use your spiritual gift primarily. Very few of you will ever get on this stage, right? Very few of you will ever have a word of knowledge that you need to yell from the seats, right? If you do, prepare because my Bible's coming at you, right? That's what's going to happen. He gone, right? You're not, what do you do? I joke a lot. I joke a lot. One thing we didn't see up here, we did see service, but one thing we didn't see up here is the gift of bulletin hander outer, right? What do you do on Sunday morning? There's one guy who preaches. You could read. If you can read, praise the Lord for that liturgy. You can read scripture. You can sing or play an instrument. You can serve in the back. You can just come and be hospitable and greet people. You can serve with our kids. But most of the time, your gifts are going to be used as a part of a gospel-centered, missional community. group of a, a small group of individuals who live on mission together in a family. That's where your gifts are meant to be used. We want them to be used. The city needs them. Your neighbors need it. Your family needs it. This church needs it. We want, if you're not a part of a missional community, we want you to join a missional community. You can literally turn to just about anyone in this room and ask them about a missional community and find your way in one. There's more people that attend our missional communities than are in this room this, this morning. We want you to be a part of a missional community. Now, as I finish up, if you're not a believer this morning, I recognize that this sermon, most of this sermon did not apply to you, right? It was an internal message kind of talking about spiritual gifts given to Christians. But I want you to know this morning that God wants to give you something way better than a spiritual gift. He wants to give you the gift of grace, the gift of himself. Like the woman that was using men and using all these different things to try to fill a hole in her soul. God wants to be the one that fills the soul. And you're, if you're an unbeliever in this room, I know you're, you're using something to fill the hole. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be sex. It could be success, achievement, popularity, the approval of a certain group of friends. I know you're using things to fill a hole that tells you you're a good person and it allows you to sleep good at night. And I know that that makes you desperate. That makes you anxious. It makes you worried. Because do they love you enough? Are you successful enough? 
You're always scraping. You're always clawing. And Jesus Christ will be the, the drink that you'll never thirst again. He'll fill your soul in a way you've never experienced and you've never known. And you don't have to do anything for him. He's already died for you. You have to say, I believe Jesus is Lord. And that's when everything changes. So as we come to the table this morning, if you're not a believer, don't take the elements. Take Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let him be what he is to the universe, the Lord of all. Father, I thank you for this gift that's been given to us, this gift in the meal. That this isn't just a personal experience with you as we come to take it. We come as a family. We come as people with differing gifts meant to sing in a choir together, meant to sing uh, in harmony with one another. So as we come, we recognize the elements. We recognize this is the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also recognize the one in front of us, the one behind us, the one to the side of us. These are our brothers and sisters. This is our family. There's unity, but there's also diversity. There's, there can be unity in diversity. So would you make that real to us? Would you help us discover our spiritual gift and stir it up and use it for others, whether it be encouraging or leadership or administration or uh, wisdom or not? Whatever the gift is, Father, would you help us? Would you stir it up so we can make much of Jesus? We can bless those that you've put around us. We pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen.